Law firms are under a moral obligation not only to have really decent parental leave policies, but to ensure that those policies are taken up. It's essential that this becomes something that is part of the culture, that it is entirely acceptable and not career limiting to take significant periods of parental leave as a father. The more intentional you can be about your career, particularly as a mother, the more you are going to set yourself up for success. Trying to get everybody back into pre-pandemic work mode, it's not a recipe for success. We are delighted to have Christina Blacklaws on our podcast. Christina is the former president of the Law Society of England and Wales and now runs her own consultancy business, Blacklaws Consulting, which provides strategic advice in transformational change, technological developments and diversity and inclusion. Christina is also a non-exec director for three large law firms, holds a range of public appointments, including two government bodies in law tech and is appointed to the King's Council Selection Panel. She is also a huge DNI champion, is a former representative for the Women Lawyers Division on the Law Society Council and has spearheaded the largest ever global research on women in law. Christina, you have had multiple other roles and appointments, but wonderfully among this fantastic career, you have had twins and two stepchildren. Christina, to kick off, we would love to hear a bit about your career before having your twins and at what age you decided to have children. Okay, Joy. Well, well, thank you very, very much. I'm delighted to be here and to be you know, delving back into my past because my children are now all at least chronological adults. More of that later, I expect. But um, uh, yeah, so I have went to university, studied law, you know, went down the sort of uh, traditional uh, route. But actually, early on in my career, I recognised that it was going to be really key for me to have as much autonomy as um, as I could manage in in my career. And and part of that was because I felt I did at some point want to have children. Um, and so uh, I, I um, became started off in. Um, in child protection law, actually. So I was uh, the the lawyer who um, represented children in the proceedings that determined what was actually going to happen, sort of the welfare proceedings for those children. Um, And that enabled me to, uh, much earlier than a lot of my uh, friends and colleagues, become a partner and then an equity partner in in a law firm. And by the time my um, biological clock started to tick very, very loudly, which is for me was the age of 30. Um, Luckily for me, I had by then become an equity partner. And so so that enabled me, I think, um, to have to have more choice than a lot of my friends of, of a similar age. In fact, a lot of my friends uh, waited for quite a lot longer um, before before they had children. Um, nonetheless, it was still, you know, it's a small firm, um, maybe about 40 or 50 people. Um, and, you know, having one of their equity partners off on maternity leave was still was still a big deal. So I still had to negotiate that with with my um, with my fellow partners. And this is back in the in the late 90s um, when it was 
not uncommon for women to, a friend of mine who was running her own business, um, went into labour on the Friday and was back at work on the Monday morning (laughs) in all sorts of a state, as you can imagine. Um, But because, you know, because she, she, she had to do that was not the support that I, I think, and I hope is, is in place nowadays. So, um, so I negotiated what was a, a ridiculously long um, maternity leave at the time. It was nine months. Um, and actually, one of my arguments with my partners was, well, because I was having twins, this is economies of scale. I was only going to do it once, so they, <laughs> so they could, um, they should give me that extra time. But of course, you know, now nine months um, would perhaps be seen as a relatively short period of time for for mat leave. Uh, then, then it was it was absolutely unprecedented, certainly in 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 the people with my friends and the circle of people that I knew. So I felt um, fortunate to be able to to have that period of time. Maybe not so fortunate when I was doing it. <laughs> I was longing to be at work, but no, I, I, I'm joking. It was great. Amazing to have had that foresight to get yourself in a position that, that meant you could do that. I think that's really interesting and something that probably a lot of people don't think about necessarily. Um, and also huge credit to you to, to have been in that equity partner position so young. I mean, it's an amazing achievement. Yeah, really incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Particularly being a lawyer myself, I know how difficult that, that is. It's it's hell of a hard, and I think it's only got a lot harder, um, you know, since, since I did it. So it wasn't completely uncommon then I think it would be unheard of now as somebody to be an equity partner in in their very early 30s Um, but I guess just to pick on uh, up on that point um, I think the more intentional you can be about your career particularly as a woman particularly as as a as a mother or a carer um, you know the, the more you are going to set yourself up for success so uh, that you know, I think I, I, I'd be surprised if anybody would disagree with that. But a lot of us, um, and I've spent you know times in my career where I've done that's just sort of you know plodded about from one thing to another, not really thinking about the the mid and long term game, um, and you know particularly when you're going to have these massive changes to your personal and professional life, which um, you know having having a child obviously brings about. And in the late 90s, was age 30 to start having children, was that relatively normal? These days, I think that would be seen as quite early. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, indeed. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, does it, is it that long ago? Yes, it is that long ago, isn't it? It's, uh, you know, my, my youngest uh, are now 25. Um, it puts puts me in mind of when they were uh, you know, six years old and they came home from school having started just to study Victorians and they said to me, Mummy, what was it like for you in the Victorian times? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, I was not meaning any offence with the question. <laughs> no, no, absolutely, absolutely none taken. It is a long time ago. Um, and, um, and I think... Uh, even then, professional women um, were leaving 
having children a bit later. And I think, you know, friends of mine who were particularly in magic circle firms or and and friends who are barristers um, you know, left it, left it longer. So I was probably yeah, I was pretty young to be um, to be having children, but for, for me, it was just you know <laughs> the clock was ticking. I suddenly just wanted to have children, and it felt like a you know, a, um, a force that I couldn't uh, hold back for very long. So you know that was that that that's what happened to to me, and uh, <laughs> and I had the kids pretty quickly after that. <laughs> you mentioned having to negotiate your maternity leave and managing to get nine months, was that then rolled out across the firm or was that specific for the position that you were in? And also how did you approach those negotiations at what point in your pregnancy, et cetera? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, and unfortunately, no, it was not rolled out across the firm. Uh, it was negotiated uh, by each woman individually at at that time i think i was one of the um one of the first people to to raise the issue of maternity leave as a you know, as a, even as a a concept um, that that should be paid for um and 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 i think that i was able to evidence that um that actually this was going to be in the firm's long-term interests, whereas you know, back in that time, in the in the, in the late nineties, um, you it was received wisdom that this was a terrible thing. You wouldn't have too many women in your team because you know if they all went on off on maternity leave at the same time, we'd be disastrous, and you know you you would be very wary. No, I'm saying you certain people would be would be very wary about um employing young women for positions of um responsibility you, you know and and, and let's say this is only a quarter of a century ago yes but only 25 years ago and in in the in the modern era <laughs> and and still those um you know, th- those issues were very much alive in decision makers' minds. Um, now, in uh, shortly after I had the kids, I set up my own firm, and in my own firm, we did things very, very differently. Uh, but at that at that time, no, conceptually, it was very challenging. I um, I I think like many women of my generation. I was very frightened, even though I was in a powerful uh, position, I was still very anxious uh, about telling them, <laughs> confessing, that, almost as bad as telling your parents somehow <laughs> you're pregnant. <laughs> um, but, you, you know, they, I, I was really worried about just how negative their reaction would be. Uh, I mean, say they, because all my other partners were male. Um, and... Um, you know, I, I was pleasantly surprised that um, they 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 didn't throw their hands up in horror. 
However, um, it was quite you know, muted in, in terms of the response. So I, I left it until I was about, I think I was, because I had twins, so <laughs> it was, uh, was ticking, yeah. pretty, pretty evident pretty quickly. Um, but I think I was over four months um, and, and really couldn't have left it any longer than that. Uh, and um, you know, there, there, there wasn't back then um, the, the policies, the procedures, the sort of, you know, the routes to doing this that um, make it easier either. So, so hope, I do hope now that for, um, for women who are uh, about to tell their bosses that they are, are pregnant, that they have an easier and, and uh, a more routinized way of, of doing that um, than back in the late 90s. How did you find maternity leave and how did you approach returning after your nine months? Well, first of all, um, the nine months wasn't nine months away because I was a business owner and that that made it, I think, really, really difficult to just switch off. I think probably I could have done that, but they didn't let me. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I, I was still sort of involved with the strategic decision making, the finances, etc. So, it, you know, I never felt that I had that uh, total break from from work. And this was obviously pre um, pre smartphone era. Um, so, in many ways, I. I could have done. I expect that it's probably really so difficult now to to completely shut off from from um, your working life. Uh, but I I didn't. So so I still kept in 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 quite a bit of uh, touch uh, uh, with with the firm during during the mat leave. And after about six months, uh, my fellow partners got pretty angsty. <laughs> You know, saying, um, you know, we really do need you back. We need you back right now. Please come back. You've got to come back. So, uh, so I, I sort of held out for a bit, but I did start to to encroach into into it. And I guess that that's probably because I felt um, that it was in their gift at the time, as opposed to being something that to which I was entitled, and um, and that it was wrong for them not to leave me alone. So yeah, again, I, I really hope that's changed now. <laughs> Hopefully, with the women who are listening to this who are having um, children now thinking, oh my God, you know, thank, thank God it's not like that um, for me. But, uh, but perhaps, it, uh, you know, there are some other um, un- unpleasant uh, tales that uh, relate to the here and now. Yeah, I think there's definitely been massive change. And I think, as you say, a lot of people listening to this will be thinking, thank goodness, you know, all these women like you have done the hard yards of doing these negotiations and getting policies in place. Um, but there are still, I think, pockets where these things happen and where people meet um, more challenging situations, particularly in industries which um, are more male dominated, where, you know, some of these battles haven't been fought quite as much. So, yeah, I think there's there's still work to be done, but huge strides have been taken, as you say. 
Yes, yes. Well, let's let's celebrate that. But no room for complacency. Hey, we've got to carry on with the with the fight. Exactly. And when you did go back to work, did you have a nanny who was helping you with the twins at home, or what was your setup? Um, so I had a very very supportive partner, which is <laughs> uh, you, you know not not in a, a sort of Jane Austen type way, but you you do have to be careful who you choose. <laughs> um, and um, <laughs> yeah, oh God, you, you know when 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 and a, a friend of mine said this to me, uh, and she had a baby a lot later than I did. And she said, you know, when she said, "Oh, we're pregnant," he said great so what are you going to do it was like like, or you know somehow this is your responsibility so um a really supportive partner who who luckily with his um his job was able to be really flexible and so he did a lot of the a lot of the heavy lifting for childcare. i think you know grandparents and and aunts and uncles come into their own as well I think at this at this juncture in in life um and um and I I I negotiated working pretty flexibly as well and you know this is uh, early early doors um in terms of flexible working uh but with a bit of a mix and a muddle (laughs) We managed to we managed to get through, and um, you know, then obviously the kids went to um, uh, to nursery and primary school, and 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 it it became a bit easier then. Although um, you know, we did have four children in four different secondary schools, or, or, you know, oh four teenagers in the house at one point <laughs> for many years, which was, uh, you know, had its own logistical challenges. But yeah, I, I was, um, it was a mix of um, those people who were close by and close to me um, and who were willing to, to, to lend a hand and help out. And, the and village. Just about, yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, there were times <laughs> when, when it all fell apart I went to custard but um you, you know in the main it, it 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 did work and I think because I was um uh, a business owner and then and then my own boss um that that enabled me to have that that flex that I needed when when things did fall apart I'd love to hear a bit more about you, you mentioned setting up your own firm I'd love to hear a bit more about that how you or why you decided to do that um at what point in the journey that was and um how, how that went yeah sure so um and I I just really wanted to do it uh it's you know and I could make the business case out to myself and I thought this is this is going to be fantastic. I was really naive and overly optimistic because it was it was a lot of hard a lot of hard work. Um, but um, I um, I did that in the uh, two thousand and four something like that. So the kids were really really little. There were six, yeah, and um, and it seemed you know. For, for many people seemed to be a crazy thing because I was very secure where I was but uh, you know I had a vision and I had a passion for what what uh, we could do and my vision was to set up a 
um, a virtual law firm, um, which and be, because at, the, at that time I was working predominantly in, in family law and we did housing and we did social welfare law. Um, and there are many, many women who work in those areas. And and so using the technology, and this is where I learned to code, you know, started my, my tech journey. Um, well, you're ahead so of using, the game. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, yeah, yeah, just about. You know, it wasn't great coding, it wasn't great tech, but um, what it enabled us to do is to have a, a um, what they would now term contract lawyer model so that people who are self-employed could work through our systems. We provided all the back office for that. And we had, I think, about 70 lawyers up and down the country. 90 plus percent of them were women. Um, plus, um, we had um, like high street offices as well. So we had a traditional firm with this um, high, sort of hybrid model of uh uh, contract lawyering on top of it but it enabled many women to be able to choose how they wanted to work and um, you know in the early 2000s if you asked uh, one woman came to me because she'd asked her firm if she could leave work on a Wednesday at 4.30 so she could take her kids to swimming lessons. They said, absolutely not. So I got this great woman, a fabulously talented lawyer to, to, to come and join the business because they weren't willing to accommodate that entirely reasonable request. Um, so, so it was, it was, um, that's why I was passionate about it. That's why I wanted to do it. I really felt that it could it could work. It works as a business model, but and you know, most importantly, it really worked for for the women who uh, were part of it. Such a good idea. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah, and and really ahead of the curve. Uh, well, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there there were. Um, I must mention at this point uh, another former president of the Law Society of England and Wales, Lucy Scott Moncrief, and she did a similar thing um, at the same time, or even probably a little bit before me. So she, you know, I think there were the the idea was sort of percolating as to how how can we do things? This is just not working for for, for women to be so constrained mm. and such a waste of talent. Such a, you know, and and no flexibility at all. Um, so it really made your choices very stark. And lots of women left. Yeah, I think you've really set or trailblazed for um, women in law generally, because to be honest, all the law firms have now moved in that direction. So they are a lot more flexible, um, in my experience. Um, and they have to be because otherwise women leave (laughs) and a lot of them have problems with senior women leaving because of reasons that you mentioned. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And and maybe we'll come on to talk about that when, um, talk about the research that I was able to spearhead it when I was a office holder, but, but yeah, it's a hygiene factor. You know, if you want to retain talent, it's not, just female talent either it's you know it's um you know it's all all genders want to be able to have flexibility and want to be able to to you know have a life that works for them whatever that means for them so um you know I, I think that law firms who are not doing it or who are trying to 
you know, get everybody back into pre-pandemic work mode um, is, is, well, it's not a recipe for success, I don't think. I, I understand that hybrid working is is really challenging um, and you know, once you, as you ratchet up flexibility, that's, that also adds to the complexity and the challenge. But none of this is insurmountable and ultimately it will lead to, to happier and therefore more efficient and profitable employees, I'm sure. I think that's a really important point. You made it also earlier when you talked about negotiating on mat leave. It's also explaining to companies the benefit to them. It's not, this isn't a, a gift they're giving employees. This is something that benefits employees, but also benefits businesses. Yeah, absolutely right. And, you know, with the preponderance of female talent in in the industry, um, I think last year it was about 75% of people studying law degrees in this country are female, and two-thirds of people who are taking training contracts and becoming newly qualified solicitors are female. And it's not unusual for a law firm to have over 70% female in their employ. Um, it, it's, it's got to be, it, it should be the sort of fundamental number one priority of the business and seen completely as a business issue. This is not about being, being nice to the women or doing the right thing. It's actually about about hard-nosed profitability um, and if they don't get it right for women um, and particularly women who have caring responsibilities then they are absolutely going to lose the talent and they don't deserve to keep it really <laughs> so um, you know if law firms are, I get off my um, soapbox in a minute but if, if law firms could actually you know, properly work out how to keep, retain and um, promote uh, working mums, they, they, you know, it's those law firms that are going to be the future and have and have success. I think um, sometimes some of the issues that um, I've heard mentioned um, within a law firm context are that often the women are uh, that are going on maternity leave generally tend to be in around their thirties in our type of industry, um, and they are therefore relatively senior. And I think the worry is that if they lose or allow the senior w- women or parents generally to all work from home in the hybrid model that you mentioned, it's the junior talent that's going to be disrupted because they're not going to have people to learn from by osmosis, see how they take phone calls, you know, all the good things that you see when you're sitting next to someone in an office. And I think that's a lot of, I think a lot of concern is driven through that in terms of how they develop and train junior lawyers and trainees um when you're allowing say 60 percent of partners to work from home on a regular basis yeah and you know it's a genuine issue i would say that um 
it's a novel issue as well. So you know, we're, we're at the, the foothills of this. We don't really know what we're doing with it. So, so you know, there's a lot of experimentation going on and, and a lot of worry about it. However, you know, these uh, retaining culture and, and um, promulgating that culture um, and training talent um, this, you know, we can sit here and within five minutes we could give, you know, 20 different ways of being able to do that in a hybrid and virtual world that could be really successful. Um, and it takes a little bit more effort from particularly from those senior people to be able to, to do that. But I think that's a great trade-off, you know, for um, for the ability to have that flexibility, to be able to um, work from home uh, when, it, when it works for you. Um, then then uh, if you do need to think a little bit more carefully, if you need to think, oh, you know, I, I better, um, I'm going to get Hannah to come on this call with me. I'm, I'm going to make to the client now. So it's an extra call or it's a, a message or something like that, just so that, you know, those um, that osmosis learning can still take place. You can still build culture. You know, anybody who is a digital native, the way screen life is real life. You know, it isn't it isn't um, a sort of pale imitation. And, um, you know, and, and actually... We need to lean into that and we need to make the effort to find the ways to make it work as opposed to trying to wish it away. Uh, and and I'm, I'm saying we, but I don't mean us. I mean, I'm talking about you know, senior leadership here, um, many of whom, not to overcharacterize it, but many of whom are, you know, late middle-aged men who, who want their bevy of people around them so they can bark an order here and there and, and they don't need to think and and, they, and it's, a, it's an entitlement piece but I, I don't think there are um, you know hmm, I'm going to be shut down for this but my experience is that senior the senior women are much more willing to to think creatively about how to how to address this challenge and um, you know I think collectively it's in our all of our best interest to make this work. So let's you know let's get our thinking caps on and let us work out the ways that we can we can establish best practice um, in in this in this new way of working and um, and that's going to be great for everybody. But and particularly particularly uh, I, I think um, working working parents. Yeah, it's, it was so one of the things that. Um, we did when we um, we did the women in leadership and law uh, campaign when I was uh, president, office holder, and then president. It was a three-year campaign. Um, we we did roundtables uh, with senior men, and one of the yeah, you know, it was it's so poignant. Man, you know, senior leader, senior male leader after senior male leader, when talking about this on a one-to-one with them would often easily be in tears about the fact that they you know they put their career above their children they didn't build a relationship with their children because they were building their career it was you know it was a really 
binary thing for them. They couldn't do the both. And, and I think that, you know, if we can build a working environment where it's humanized and, um, you know, and we can all have time with our children and not feel guilty about that and, you know, work really hard and not feel guilty about that. Um, you know, that that's actually going to give longevity to, to our profession as, as well, because, it, you know, it's, it isn't particularly attractive at the moment um, with, with the, ongoing long hours culture um, to to much of the the sort of incoming talent into the market so it's you know we need to do stuff do you think there's an element of you know that's what I had to go through so to reach my level of success other people should have to go through that as well even subconsciously perhaps but I think sometimes that continues systems and processes that actually aren't beneficial to anyone because that's sort of a mindset that exists at the top sometimes yeah I, th- I think that that must must be true because why else why otherwise is it perpetuated in such a sort of profound way I don't think that um, many people would articulate it and I think that a lot of and I'm saying people because you know there are a lot of women of my generation who who might be saying god you know you've got it so lucky now probably not saying this but thinking it you know you you don't know you're born you young women who are having children now <laughs> and and of course it is you know it, it's entirely negative and destructive uh, that that sort of perpetuation of abuse actually to to, to call it what it is um and you know often it, it that it's that generational thing it's the sort of public school um thing isn't it where it's happened to me and therefore and therefore consciously or otherwise i do it to 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 you to the next generation but we really have to you know call uh, a real halt to that there is no place for that in in um you know modern legal practice and um and we need to call it out like so many other things we need to call it out when we see it um and and be activists i think another important point to make something we're we're very keen on at women who work is um trying to encourage paternity leave as well because that helps to balance out a lot of these issues gets rid of some of that guilt that you know, men feel where they have chosen their career over their family um, and just will help to level the playing field a bit. You know, that's something we're huge advocates of. Yeah. And and I think it's, you know, if you look at this this issue in its broadest sense, it's it's entirely societal. You know, and um, until we can have proper equality um, and, and that does mean, you know, fathers spending a lot of time caring for their children as well and for that to be okay um, then we're just never going you know we're always going to have an imbalance and um, yeah that 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 is something that needs to be addressed governmentally and policy wise uh, and also you know in 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 law firms and law firms I think are under a moral obligation not only to have really decent uh, parental leave policies, but to ensure that those policies are taken up. Um, when uh, speaking to a, a managing partner of a Magic Circle law firm in 2019, when we were doing this uh, research, and 
you know, they had a fabulous policy and not a single male partner took it up because they knew it was going to be the kiss of death for their career. Um, so, you know, it's it's essential that this, it, this becomes something that is um, part of the culture within, within the business, that it is um, entirely acceptable and not career limiting to take significant periods of paid and unpaid parental leave um, as as a father. I think you know, women have always known it's career limiting. <laughs> sort of had to, you know, haven't really had much of a choice about it, you know, because everything has been um, you know, pushing uh, women into taking big chunks of, of mat leave. And that's the sort of societally acceptable thing to do. But I've also spoken to when we were doing our roundtable research, lots of young um, mums who were, who were saying, oh, you know, I'm, I feel under pressure to take 15 months off. You know, the firm is generously offering me a year plus my accrued annual leave. But um, actually, I've got childcare sorted. You know, I really want to come back after six months. <laughs> this is child number two or three or whatever. You know, I just, but I feel like you know, somehow that's that's going to be frowned upon so you know it is it is a sort of bizarre situation really but we need to get fathers to um to carry an equal load it's a huge reason why we set up women who work actually because we felt like the conversation had moved so far into the other direction that actually it it was it I certainly felt like it was slightly frowned upon that I was coming back and coming back five days a week, pushing forward my career, ready to go. Um, Because I think people just make an assumption that you're either coming back part time or that you're going to take a longer maternity leave than perhaps you want to. um, And and or that you want to put your career on the back burner for for a few years whilst having children. Um, and we wanted to shift that that conversation in the other direction to be to, to be saying actually women can if they want to push forward their careers they can and should be going for it. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and that was my own experience. You know, I really there were things that I wanted to do <laughs> as well as be a mum. You know, and and um, you know, I I did want to get back into the work and I've you know and I have worked full-time plus um throughout my throughout my career apart from that uh one period of 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 mat leave and I really resent anybody who makes any woman feel guilty because of because of that choice because it's it's fundamentally sexist um and you it's men are never asked those questions even now you know, men, men are never asked those questions uh, back when I was having children it was it was even questionable as whether I should be working at all <laughs> and um, as we established it wasn't that that long ago um, but um, <laughs> but but you know now it's it's I think it is utterly unacceptable and you know the conversation needs to be about you as an individual and what is going to work for you and um, your your decisions around your parenting and your family life and your personal life are entirely a matter for for you it's it's so interesting and helpful hearing 
hearing that perspective and hearing from you who's kind of been there and done that through the childcare journey. Um, could you tell us a bit more about your women in law research and its findings? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I, I put my hat in the ring to become a uh, Law Society president because I wanted to do this. And it was like a three-year role. So I had three years to um, to try and make a difference. I'm talking about I, but it was a, you know, a huge team of people who were really very supportive of this. And the thing that uh, that struck me very forcibly was the lack of women in leadership roles. And this was despite the fact that for the last three decades, so in fact, since 1991, women represented the majority of the entrants into the profession. So we've had generations of women being the majority of entrants. And, and yet, you know, in, in 2016, when we started this, um, you know, in, in many of the large law firms, um, the equity partnership was sub 10% female. Uh, you, you know, it's just, uh, so the figures just didn't add up. And 2019 was our centenary. It was the centenary of the Sex Discrimination Removal Act, which enabled women to become lawyers and judges and architects and all sorts of things that we were uh, forbidden to do beforehand. Uh, so what, what, what we wanted to do was to um, investigate that and find out why and then find out the solution. So, so what was preventing women from getting to the top of the profession um, and what we needed to do about that? So, uh, so it, was a, it was a three-year programme. We did a lot of um, quantitative as well as qualitative research, uh, which in involved um, round tables, uh, round tables for women, round tables for men. We, we did over 250 of them in, in 20 different countries. I was um, able, privileged to, to facilitate uh, 50 of them. So I got a really amazing insight from, from all of these women uh, in, in 19 different countries, so all over the world. And the idea was to, to get the research, to get the evidence, but also to encourage um, women and men to become activists for change uh, in terms of um, you know, gender equality in, in, in the law. Uh, and, um, and, and I think in large measure, we were successful at that. So we had three, three significant reports, um, a lot of um, grassroots change, you know, about women going back to their firms and demanding policies and, you know, celebrating uh, women in their firm, all sorts of things that, that uh, people told us that they had done. And um, we also uh, liaised with government and put together a women in law pledge. Um, and the, the We've got over 100 signatories to, to the pledge. So it's backed by um, UK government. It's supported by all the representative bodies um, in, in the UK. And, you know, the, the, the pledge is a, a sort of... <laughs> A sort of six-point encapsulation of everything that we learnt along the journey. You know the things that actually shift the needle. 
And they are things that are, are obvious, but, you know, it's great to have it there. And people who sign up to the pledge, um, sign up to being accountable and be publicly accountable for what they are going to do and how they're going to do it and, and, you know, and what they have then done and what their, their data and stats show. And, you know, the, the important things are about having leadership actively on board and engaged um you know measurements that's that's really really important you know everything that you measure around um particularly around gender but also this relates to to other protected characteristics like ethnicity really important to measure that to to make public commitments about how how you're going to shift that and then to um to to be honest about it, to have integrity about about that, and to keep trying and working towards that. So, um, and and of course to have all of the right policies and procedures in place. But the you know the cultural piece um, that uh, under underscores that is is possibly even more important. That um, culture of um, equity and permission. I think is you know that those those are the sort of really key things. So you know anybody who wants to um, to have a look at this, it's on the on the Law Society website, um, and it's just a, a six point pledge. I think it's really helpful to encapsulate it so clearly like that because it can be quite a complicated picture. So actually to have it distilled down into such with such clarity must be really helpful. Well, I hope it is useful. Um, <sighs> It, it sometimes it's a bit overwhelming thinking gosh where do we start and uh, so I think and, and everybody's at a different point in their in their DNI journey as well but if we were all held publicly accountable when I say we I mean organizations institutions firms um, beyond gender pay gap um which is a really important. I'm a you know a big proponent of, of of gender pay gap reporting. I know it's it's uh, not perfect, but it is better than nothing, um, and has shifted the conversation and 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 actually has made significant changes. But you know there is stuff that needs to be to happen beyond that to make um, the world of work equitable for for women and. You know, what we discovered, which is not surprising, but you know, many of the solutions have a total read through for other protected characteristics and um, social mobility issues as well. You know, so 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 it's good for everybody, <laughs> um, and and so uh, you know, it's it's surprising sometimes to me that uh, it's. That there isn't greater um, you know, focus, awareness, and adoption because this you know, this works as all you know McKinsey's report and so many reports evidence that if you have um, and encourage and empower diversity in your business, that equates with profitability. So you know, so what's not to like about it? Sounds like you really made the most of your uh, tenure <laughs> as president. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, uh, uh, and it was just, you know, it's amazing to go to 
to the Middle East and Africa and South America and, you know, meet all of these women um, who were practicing lawyers, um, such different cultures, and the consistency, the thematic consistency in terms of issues and, uh, and problems was, was just remarkable. That's so interesting, isn't it? That's so interesting. Just systemic bias, isn't it? <laughs> you know, that's basically what's at the what's at the bottom of this. So, yeah, Christina, I'd I'd love to ask um, on a bit more of a personal note how your children have felt about you working so hard. You mentioned you work full time <laughs> plus. <laughs> yeah, and you know, uh, it's. Um, I think they would have had different answers at different stages, but I'll tell you what they say now. Um, You know, when they were 14, they just say they hated me anyway. (laughs) But now um, it's, it's actually, it's really moving. You know, they, they say, they say lovely things. They say that they're, you know, they're really, really proud and, of me and that I was a, what I am, I guess, I'm still, still working, um, that I'm a role model for them and, and their friends and that they, you know, they really appreciate how hard I have worked at life, I guess, you know, to, 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 to be a, a, an entrepreneur and a career woman, um, you don't say career man, do we? But you know, and also to be there and you know and present with them, uh, and um, and I think I really tried hard to do that. You know, I tried, I tried really hard not to mess up the time that I had with them, and um, and I think it's you know it's hard. It's so challenging now with the the siren call of the um smartphone <laughs> but um it, we have to it, it is about presence I, i'm pretty confident um makes a big difference so i i'd always go quality over quantity it's amazing i, I, I think really hope my daughter say that about me one day <laughs> yeah i know i think i think for every woman who's struggling at the moment like contemplating whether to keep pushing through and working hard or you know what steps to take whilst having children i think to hear that and to know that hopefully one day your children will be proud of you does make it worth it yeah well it really made me well up when when, when um and they they said it each of them uh individually as well so and and more than once so I'm I'm taking that as a win are the teens the toughest years oh god yes (laughs) so um I had a particularly challenging daughter because with our um our family setup we had uh, four children under five and they were so really close in age um and um, one one daughter particularly challenging, and she says now she says I just I don't know why you didn't either kill me or put me into care. I was like mm, neither of <laughs> those options were really <laughs> pretty viable at the time. She said I was an 
absolute horror. And she's right. <laughs> they, you know, you get through it. <laughs> Alcy and I both have two daughters and we're both, yeah. you know, they're under three. So we've got a long way to go. <laughs> well let's hope so (laughs) Um, and hopefully you never you never get there but you you know even um even if you do struggle a bit through teenage years they they come out the other side you know to half decent adults I think so yeah you just got to hang on in there and try not to kill them um on that note it would be lovely to hear from you as we ask all of our guests to give us their biggest high and their biggest low of having been a, a working mum and of your illustrious career. Um, if you can pick out a highlight and perhaps a low light, um, light-hearted one, if you wish, um, our listeners would love to hear that. <laughs> okay. Um, so highlight is, was probably having them all with me. Uh, you know, and my my mom and my dad, and as well, you know, having my family with me when I was um, inaugurated as a, as as a Royal Society president that 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 was incredibly special time for for me, um, and um, a low light. Uh, so as I said, I was you know working flexibly quite a bit uh on and I can remember one time when I uh had a very important call business call that I needed to take when I was at home with the kids so I did what we all do which is I locked myself in the loo <laughs> to try and get all my finger <laughs> on them <laughs> they weren't tiny you know they were they were sort of you know I don't know six or something like that I wasn't being entirely negligent um and um you know I was having this serious important business call uh with with this obviously guy and um I could uh, I could hear his knocking on the on the bathroom door knocking getting louder and louder and I was trying to sort of talk a bit louder and you just try desperately hard to ignore it and then there was this they were saying um there was this scream at me which was very audible on the phone as well which is I need a poo (laughs) 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 I just thought I just thought oh god this is just not (laughs) this is not going well so the guy said it sounds like you need to go and I thank you I better better had (laughs) so um you know that was one of one of many many um you know children humiliating me <laughs> in in professional semi-professional circumstances but yeah yeah <laughs> that's hilarious quite hard to explain that one away isn't it uh- <laughs> what can you do you just have to you just have to and of course this was you know before it would have been um ra- rather charming and um <laughs> acceptable it was you know, back in the early 2000s not the done thing Um, We've absolutely loved hearing from you. We really, really appreciate your time joining us on our podcast. Um, It's been fantastic to hear about your career, um, your progression and all the work that you've done. And thank you for being a trailblazer and an advocate for women um, and all of the work you've done for DNI. It's it's fantastic, um, much appreciated by the next generation. Um, And thank you for sharing so many personal uh, details today. It's really helpful for our listeners to hear individual experiences. Um, I think that really helps 
people to be able to envision their future and see how they can make it work. So thank you very much indeed for joining us. Oh, well, thank you, both of you. It's been a real pleasure. It's very, very kind of you to ask me and um, and good luck with it all. Thank you. We need it. Yeah, I'm around <laughs> if you want any help <laughs> or a glass of wine or something. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. We'll take you up on that one. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to our new Women Who Work podcast. Please help us to grow our listenership by subscribing, reviewing and commenting. And please do share with any friends or colleagues who you think may find this useful. Also join us on LinkedIn or sign up to the mailing list on our website, www.womanwhowork.uk, to ensure that you never miss any of our content. If you'd like to be involved with Women Who Work or have any ideas for us, then please do get in touch on email at hello at womanwhowork.uk. Thanks again. <laughs>